things down. I, not everybody's a marker, but some are. And uh, if you are, you can highlight away. I've seen some of my favorite preachers. When they lift up their Bible, it's like there's so much, so much highlighted in there that pretty much the whole page is yellow. And I thought by that point, why don't you just use a Sharpie and blot up the stuff you don't like because you've pretty much highlighted the whole thing. Well, then you get in trouble, right? Because then you're saying there's things in the Bible you don't like. So I don't highlight very much. Um, I just kind of keep a notebook with me, and uh, I like to take my notes down. But everybody's different, and uh, we encourage you to, to just go home and, and check out what we've talked about today. Don't let this be the last time you read these scriptures. Go home, read it for yourself, examine it for yourself, find it to be true, and let it be, come alive to you in a different way. We're going through 2 Corinthians, and we've come upon uh, the end of chapter 6. We're going to be reading that tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 11. Previously, last week, we uh, went over the section of scripture where he's talking about all that they've done to get the gospel out, all they've sacrificed, all they've given up, all they went through. But then he says things like, but at the same time, we might not have been well-known to the world, but we've been well-known to God. He might say, you might think we don't have anything, but we possess all things. And in, in, in other words, he's saying what really matters to us, the important stuff to us, we have more than enough. God has been good to us. And he explains that it was all worth it so that they would have the gospel. But then in verse 11, and you got to remember the background here, the Apostle Paul is having to defend some claims. There have been some people come that have spoken against him and, and spoken against the apostles that brought them the word. And by this point, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. He says, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Don't touch what is unclean and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Now, we're going to next week, um, or might not be next week, but whenever we pick up on, um, we, we pick up on 2 Corinthians again, because next week might be a special service, and we'll tell you about that later. Uh, but we are going to go through that section that talks about coming out and being separate, um, really being holy as he's holy. We're going to talk about that uh, in our next session together. But tonight, I'd like to focus on that, that section, and we're, it picks up in chapter 7 as well. The thought of being open and having your heart open wide, not just to God, but to somebody. Because here he says this. He says, our mouth has spoken freely to you. We didn't hold anything back. We didn't deceive you. We didn't... Um, try to sugarcoat anything. We didn't, we didn't keep anything for later or somebody else. He said, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. And then he says, our heart is open wide. That may seem like a simple statement, our heart is open wide. But I, I, I want to tell you, it's not as simple as it seems. 
for a guy like this to be able to say, my heart is open wide. What happens when your heart is wide open? There's love that comes out. There's love that comes in, right? You're a lot more vulnerable when your heart's open. You think about it, this guy, the Apostle Paul who's writing this, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this man has been the tip of the spear in missions operations. He's been going into places where the gospel hasn't been preached. In every place, he's not only had uh, people that opposed him from other religions, he's had, in this, in this book, we find out he's had Christians talk against him. There have been times where I've said to somebody, I said, listen, guys, you know, people that were kind of squabbling over little things. I said, we've got people that, like, make no secret that they don't like us. We've got, we've got, we've got people that hate us for believing in Jesus. Really, do we need to make enemies amongst ourselves? Do we need to fight amongst ourselves? We, we, we've got them. We don't need to look for trouble. We don't need to borrow it. We don't need to make it up. It's there. It's, there's enough of that. Can we get along? You know? And... Uh, I imagine as the Apostle Paul might have thought, you know, I got people trying to kill me regularly for preaching Jesus. And then you got your own friends, your brothers and sisters come up from behind you with a knife. And he's saying, you know, what, what, what have we done to deserve that? And here he says that we've spoken freely to you and our heart has been opened wide to you. This is a church that has hurt him in the past. It is a powerful thing for somebody to overcome hurt so that you might minister the love of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ without hindrance. And it's necessary. Every minister, whether you're in this kind of ministry where you're teaching and preaching or whether you believe, just as, as we all believe, that as a, every believer, every Christian is a minister of reconciliation, a big part of ministry, you might not know this is a big part, but a big part is allowing your heart to stay soft. You know, as, as a pastor, I, I'm, I'm still young. I'm going on nine years of pastoring uh, in this fall. Uh, but, so I haven't had the 40 years that some have had, the, the 50 years where you get a gold watch or something. I haven't had that. But in those eight and a half, nine years, you experience a lot of people letting you down in certain areas, people walking away. Sometimes being a pastor is almost like, being in a relationship where the, you're the only one that gets dumped all the time. And I, I don't mean to make it sound bad, but, you know, I, I've, I've yet to kick somebody out of the church. So I have dumped no one. I've never broken off a relationship, but, but people have walked away from the church. And whether or not it was because of me or was because of something else, you always take it a little bit to heart because this is somebody you've opened your heart to. You've given them everything. You don't restrain anything because really, if you're in ministry and you're holding stuff back, you can't effectively minister. And so when you get hurt, when you've opened your heart to people, and you guys are part of a church, so you know what this is like. You let people into your life that you never would have let into your life any other way. I mean, look around you for a moment. These are all very nice people, but many of these people you may never have met in your life. They might not have been your friends from work. They might not have been the people you play cards with. These non-gabbling cards, by the way. <laughs> Just so nobody listening to the podcast gets upset. But these might not be the people you would have gone to the lake with. 
But God did something marvelous when he knitted us together, as diverse as we might have been, all ages, all races, all groups, classes, and put us in a body together. And what happens is, in order to effectively be part of that body, you open yourself up to people. And unfortunately, people being people are not perfect. And at times, it seems to backfire and you get hurt. Well, I'm telling you right now, from experience, not only being a pastor, but growing up in a pastor's family, growing up in a family of ministry, if you let those hurts stay in your heart, if you let the bitterness stay in your heart, if you let rejection become a part of something that defines you, you can never effectively minister the love of Jesus, the gospel, the word of God to anybody effectively again. You have to let your heart remain soft and open. And you have to let the healer of hearts heal your heart. The apostle Paul says something powerful when he says, our hearts, in other words, him and the apostles that were with him, our hearts are open wide. You remember the the first few things he has to address in this letter are the people that are speaking against him in this very church and yet he's able to say our hearts are open wide we might say Paul it's you should be careful around these people they're not all allies they're not all your friends but he knows unless your heart is open wide you can't minister you can't love with the love of Jesus because as we've said before the same walls that you put up to keep yourself from getting hurt those walls work both ways and to keep the love of God from leaving and, and hitting somebody else, to keep the love of God from affecting other people, and they keep you from, a, from receiving love in the same way. He says, our hearts are open wide. Now watch what he says here in verse 12. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. You know what it means to be restrained? It means to be held back, Right? To restrain somebody or something is to hold it back from all that it could or should be. God had a plan for this church in Corinth. God had a plan for them that required them to open up a little bit and allow themselves to love, allow themselves to receive from somebody in a way that maybe they weren't comfortable with at first. He says, you're not restrained by us. We're not the ones holding anything back from you. We're not the ones keeping you at a distance. You're restrained by your own affections. Has it occurred to you is that as a believer, you might be restrained from all that God's got for you, not because God is holding it back from you, because we know that we serve a God who gives freely without measure, without uh, condemnation, he gives freely. He's not holding back. Could we understand that we might not be getting everything that are, or receiving all that's for us, all that's set aside for us, not only from God, but from the gifts that God gives us because we're a little afraid to open up our hearts wide enough. You see here, he doesn't say, Corinthians, open your heart to God because we all, whether we do or not, we all would say that we open up our hearts to God, right? We say, well, yeah, I trust God. I just don't trust any of you. But that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Being the body of Christ, it's hard to say that. The Apostle Paul doesn't say, you know, open your hearts wide to God. You're holding something back from him. No, here he says, open your hearts wide to us. You're not restrained by us. You're restrained by your own affections. 
Sometimes, can we just admit that God uses people to speak into our life that are a little bit different? (laughs) Come on, you've all had one guest speaker at least that has come here. In the past, however many years you've been coming to this church, there's been one. There's been enough variety that I bet there's been one that rubbed you the wrong way. And it wasn't what they said so much as how they said it. (laughs) Their personality, their style. I've talked to people, and they're like, it's hard for me to receive when they're at this volume, or it's hard for me to receive when they have that accent, or it's hard for me to receive when they, they talk so monotone. We might not have survived the prophets of the, old, of the Bible <laughs> who were nutty, who seemed nutty. They weren't nutty, but they seemed nutty. You recall God sending Jeremiah with a message that required him to walk around with a yoke around him the whole time, crazy old man wearing an ox yoke. You recall the prophet that went naked prophesying. You recall Ezekiel lying on the ground for hundreds of days because God told him to, eating bread that God told him to cook over human dung. And when he protested, God gave him a break and said, fine, 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 you can cook it over animal manure. These are the prophets that are ministering to you. No, we want them to be nice and sophisticated, have a, have a, have a humorous yet inspiring Twitter feed. We want them to have a website that's professional But let's face it, God uses people to shake us up sometimes. God sent John the Baptist. The guy who's preparing everybody for Jesus is John the Baptist. He as a boy, the Bible says as a boy, probably, you know, his parents were very old when he was born. Probably when they died, he went out to the wilderness. It says he was raised in the wilderness by himself. He is the Mowgli of the Bible. And he's raised... He doesn't even have wolves to raise him. He's just raised in the wilderness and he's eating locusts and honey. That's his favorite snack. He says he was clothed in animal skins. And you say, well, that's not so bad. We wear leather. We wear fur. No, 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 no. This is stuff. He's not a designer. He didn't buy this. He killed an animal, took the skin, wrapped it around himself, said, that's good enough, and started preaching. And I don't imagine he bathed too often. So it was a good thing he was John the Baptist, that his job required him to be in water. And this is the guy. And it offended people. So much so that Jesus said, what did you come to see? When you came to see John the Baptist, did you come to see a rose in the desert? Did you come to see somebody clothed in fine linens and smelling wonderful? That's not who you got. Or did you come to see hear the voice of Elijah uh, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord? It's all about what you came to hear. If you came to hear somebody that was slick and put together, you picked the wrong guy. What did Jesus say after that? He said, you guys are like kids that when we play a funeral song, a really sad song, you dance and you play and you say, why don't we play more? And then when it's time to dance, you want to cry. What's his point? His point was when John came, 
They were meant to receive John as a gift from God, as a prophet of God, because Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that walked the face of the earth. He said he was the greatest prophet because he prepared the way for Jesus. But then he said, of course, that the smallest in the kingdom of God was greater than John. But when John came, there was a, there was a time of repentance. They were meant to re- repent and turn back to God. So there was a time of mourning because they'd gone so far. This was God's call to those religious people that, that had been so wrapped up in their religion that they'd forgotten the God that, that was the source of it all. This was their chance. And yet that's what, not what they were looking for when John came. And then when Jesus came, when Jesus came, you see, with John, they said, well, he has a demon. When Jesus came, he, was, he came because now it's the... Messiah has come, and he came with, a, with a, an air of celebration about him. He, he feasted with people. He, he celebrated. He had joy. And they wanted him to be more, more somber. They wanted him not to hang out with certain people, and they called him a drunk and a glutton. He said, so when I was playing a sad song, you guys wanted to play. And when we played a, a happy song, a dance, a rejoicing song, you wanted to cry. You missed what God was doing because you were looking for something in the people that God used. You were looking for what you wanted instead of what he was using. So Paul might have rubbed people the wrong way. But it's not about personality. It's about the gifts that God sends to you. Will you receive them as a gift from God? In 1 Corinthians, he addresses the issue that's come up that some of them have had favorite preachers. Now, we all could admit that we've got favorite preachers, right? We've got people we like to listen to a little bit more than others. But we have to watch that and we have to be careful because when it gets into an attitude of favoritism, 1 Corinthians says that you've exalted one at the expense of another, that God was wanting to use all these gifts and because you picked your favorite, you've actually put down a gift that God was trying to use. So you had people in the Corinthian church. Now, these are different people that administered to them at one point in history. You had people that were big fans of Paul. You had big people that were big fans of Apollos. You had people that were big fans of Peter. You had people that were fans of the different styles. I mean, of course, we know that Peter would have really appealed to some of the you know, the, the ones who really wanted more of that Jewishness about it. You know, he was, he was kind of the, the, the Jewish guest speaker. The, if, he, if he pastored that church for a bit, he might have. He was, he was the guy that, uh, you know, he, he appealed to the traditional ones. You had Apollos. He was educated. He had smooth speech. The Bible says that he was convincing. He could win any debate. He was one of those guys that, that you want to bring your university friends to. I hear this guy speak. I mean, this guy, I mean, he doesn't embarrass us like Peter does. This guy can hold his own. Then you had Paul, and some people just, you know, liked him a little bit more. Maybe they didn't like Apollos' style. Maybe you wanted somebody that was a little bit more tell it like it is. And he says, here's the problem. You've picked favorites, and in picking favorites, you've, maybe unintentionally, you've formed factions among yourselves, and it's dividing the body. What God's asking is not that you like someone a little bit less, 
What God's asking is that you open your hearts wide, not just to the ministers that God sends to you, but to the people around you in the body of Christ that he sent to be part of your life and a part of your ministry. Here, the Corinthian church was asked to open wide. In a like exchange, open wide to us also, he says in verse 13. You're not restrained by us. You're restrained by your own affections. It's a, it's a big truth that many Christians in their life are restrained, not, not because God doesn't want the best for them, not because God hasn't given all so that they would have his best, but they're restrained in their walk with the Lord because they've held back and they've guarded their heart against gifts that God sent to them, against people that God sent to them. They haven't really opened wide, so they're restrained by their affections. It's strange to think this, but your affections are very important. What, what do I mean by your affections? The things you care about, the things you love, they matter. And if you let something steal your affection that's not really worth your energy, it's not worth your heart, you can't give some of your heart away without taking a little bit from something else. And so, you know, if I fall, if I fall in love with the wrong things, it's not, it's not necessarily that those things are bad. It's not necessarily that those things are terrible. But if I give my heart, if I give all my time, my affections to things that aren't kingdom worthy, it's not that they're bad in themselves. But if I put them above God and his people, they've become an idol. They've become wrong. They've stolen my affections. Or if I let hurt and I let rejection and I let somebody doing something stupid keep me from walking in the full love of God. I'm held back by my affection, my lack thereof. I'm held back. What would it look like if we always, you know, with the people of God, with the ministers of God, with our brothers and sisters, what would it look like if we had our hearts open wide? There'd be a lot more chance for real hurt. You know, I've said this before, but somebody walks by you in the mall that you've met once or twice and they don't say hi, you don't go home and cry about it. And you're like, well, I barely knew them. I don't even remember the name. It's kind of best that I didn't run into them. You've probably seen that. and It's probably happened to you in the grocery store. Somebody you don't, you know you should know their name, but you don't. You're just working your way to the produce section, hiding behind the cantaloupe so that they don't see you. You don't have to be embarrassed. But now, what if one of these people from church that, that you considered close to you, what if they saw you and didn't quite say hi? The closer somebody is to you, the more you've opened your heart to them, the easier it is for them to hurt you. But it's necessary that we walk in the love of God. And here's the solution. When you let the love of God clothe you and fill you, when you draw from the well of life that's on the inside of you, you're not reacting to the love that other people give to you. You're reacting to the love that he gives to you. And it is unconditional. It is unwavering. It keeps going. When I'm reacting to the love of God, now see, if I'm reacting to your love to me, when you seem to stop loving me, I may not feel like loving you back. But if I am living in reaction to the love of God, I always have love for you. I can always open my heart wide to you. Will somebody poke it every now and then and it hurts? Maybe they will. But I serve a God who heals those broken hearts. I serve a God who's got more than enough love for me. If I'm really relying on him, it's harder to be offended. It's harder to be really, to be permanently hurt 
because you're not relying on other people to fulfill you. You're relying on him and he'll never let you down. Skip ahead to chapter seven for a moment. Chapter seven, verse two, he says, make room for us in your hearts. Make room for us. He didn't say make room for God, although that's without saying, but he says make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one, we corrupted no one, we took advantage of no one. I don't speak to condemn you, for I've said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Wow. Do you see what he's saying? The Apostle Paul could have lived one of those lives of a traveling minister where he just said, I'm going from town to town. I can't afford to get too attached to anybody. But God didn't design us that way. And true ministry without the love of God is not ministry at all. And it can't happen, it won't happen. You can preach the best messages in front of big crowds. You can give all your money away and start a gigantic charity. You can sacrifice everything. And yet the Bible says without love, it's nothing. If you can't love the people that God put in your life, and when we say that, when I say the people God put in your life, I know the people that pop in your head, the people you like. I'm so glad God put you in my life. You go and buy them a card that says that. But the truth is, God didn't just put the people in your life you like. God put people in your life that just happen to be in your life. You didn't get to pick which ones. And you don't get to pick which ones stay. Is the love of God big enough for them too? It absolutely is. This is the love of God, not your love, but his love. This is the love that he had for you while you were yet sinners, he died for you. That's the love we're talking about. The love of God did not require anything of you before he loved you. He loved you first. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. So the love of God does not depend on the person or else you would not be part of the group that God loves. Right? Beloved, the Bible says. What's the first word in that verse? Beloved. The first thing he says to you is that you're loved. By who? God. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, nobody has to tell you to love people you already like. There's... We don't have to do a class on that. I don't have to do a class saying, you know, parents, you should love your kids. Unless there's something really wrong, you do love your kids. 
I, I mean, I know that we say, you know, the Bible says, husband, love your wives. It's important to remember that and to not just love passively, but at love intentionally. But let's think about it here. The people you like, you don't need to be exhorted by scriptures and powerful words of God and the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be told over and over again to love them. You already do. It's easy. The scripture was there. The word of God came to us to encourage us that the love of God was big enough for the people that you don't like. Beloved, let us love one another. One another is a pretty broad phrase. One another has very little loopholes. You can't really say that person can't possibly be one of the one another. One another is just everybody. The body of Christ, one another, right? Let us love the body of Christ. Let's love our brothers and sisters. Why? For love is from God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that does not love does not know God, for God is love. What's your answer? To know him. And when you know him, you're filled with his love. Love is from God, and everyone that loves is born of God. That's your evidence. That's who you are. That's your nature is to love. And love requires an open heart. Love requires an open heart. Can't love with a closed heart or even a half-closed heart. You have to love with a wide open heart. We receive the word with a wide open heart. The Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonian church, he said, I thank my God constantly every time I think of you that when I came to you, you did not receive what I had to say as a word from man, but for what it really is, a word from God. And it's that word which is working its work, doing its work, performing its work in you. Now, what's he saying? I could have come and you could have just heard it as another sermon from another guy. And it wouldn't have done you any good. You might have learned something. But because when he came to that church, they received it not as a word from man, even though God was using a man, they received it as a word from God. And because they received it as a word from God, that word performed its work in them. The word works when you receive it as a word from God. Now, the more you kind of just don't like somebody that's ministering to you, <laughs> or you don't like their style, you're put off by what they're wearing or how they talk or whatever. Maybe, you're, maybe you, you feel that you're more educated than them. Or maybe you feel like they don't understand where you're from. They're different cultures, they clash. But if we're willing to let our hearts be open to what God is doing in our midst and who God is using, then when we open up our hearts wide, you can receive that person as a gift from God. Here's the thing. Here's the secret. You have got to honor the grace on someone's life. The Bible says, Paul said it by the, by the spirit of God. He said, by the grace of God, I say this to you. He said it several times that the, the reason he was able to minister as an apostle was by the grace of God. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It says to each one of us, grace was given to do what we're called to do, Right? You're singing grace. God's grace is there for you to sing. You've been empowered to sing, not just in your natural uh, talent or ability, but in his. 
The Bible says, it says that, that whoever is, gets up to speak is to speak as if God is speaking through him. Now, if he's supposed to speak as God is speaking through him, then that's two parts, right? If he's speaking as if God is speaking, then the people have got to receive as if God is speaking. Doesn't mean that you're not discerning. The Bible says to examine everything carefully and hold fast to what's good. But you have to learn to receive people as gifts of God. It says whoever serves is to serve in the strength that God gives. And in so doing, it says... We will be good stewards of the manifold grace of God, the all-encompassing, the all-every-shape-every-color uh, grace of God. For every need that the world has, that the body of Christ has, God has given somebody grace to fill that need. Right? Everybody, and, and in a church service, there, there's such a combination of people walking in their grace. I'm not talking about the grace that got you. I'm not talking about graces in the sense of by grace we're saved. It's the same grace, but I'm talking in the sense of the, the grace to do what God's called you to do. His ability, his, his empowerment to do it. So if Josh stands there ushering, I believe that he's not meant to usher simply just because, you know, he, he can stand erect and he can point people to chairs and he can hand out bulletins. No, we want him to be able to usher in the grace that God gave him to usher. I want, I want whoever, you know, people on Monday night, when you come up to pray, I want you to be praying in the grace of God. Wherever you are, whatever job that God puts you in, I want you to do it in the grace of God by his ability. Be anointed for your job. You may say, there's nothing spiritual about my job. Well, it, it is. If you're there, there's something spiritual about your job. Because you are a spirit. You're filled. You're alive. You come with the Holy Spirit. And so there is everything you put your hand to. The grace of God is there to do what he's called you to do. We've got to honor that in everybody. We've got to honor, you know, that that person might not live up to our expectation of what somebody in that, in that position should be, but we have to honor that there's a grace on their life to do it. And so, you know, when somebody speaks to us and we believe they're speaking from God, I'm not talking about somebody that gets up and spouts heresy. I'm talking about somebody that's preaching from the word of God. Whether you like them or not, honor the grace of God on that person and receive it as a gift from God. The people around you, they've got, they've got gifts. They've got grace in their life. Honor that in them. It might not be the, the thing you find most flashy or the thing that you find most important, but the Bible says that, that it's those that aren't doing the flashy jobs that God gives more honor to. More abundant honor he bestows on them. And living with a wide open heart to God, to the people that minister to us and to the people around us that are part of the same body is integral to our walk. It's so important. And we can't allow that to be damaged because if you let it be damaged... And people, I, 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 you know, sometimes people take this and they hear it as if, if I've wrongly, if I felt, if I've wrongly accused somebody or if I've, if I've wrongly misjudged somebody, then I, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I'm talking about people that you do have a right to be angry with before you got born again. You would have had a right to be angry with them. When you got born again, you gave up those rights. You gave them up because... As Jesus told in the great parable, the master has forgiven you of such a great debt that nobody in the world could possibly owe you as much as you owed him. Yeah. 
And so as much as he forgave you, you got to forgive everyone else, right? So these words that we're talking about tonight are not for the innocent in your life. They're for the people that have really harmed you, have really hurt you. You must retain an open heart. If you allow your heart to close to the people that God sent to speak to you, or the people that God sent to work with you and partner with you, if you allow your heart to be hardened or closed to them, you're restrained. You're held back from all that God's got for you. You come to church and you don't really allow yourself to fully receive the word that God's speaking. You don't really get into the praise and worship. You don't really, um, you, you know, the, the couple gets up to give a testimony of what God's done and you're only halfway there and the preacher gets up and preaches from the word of God and you're in and out, you're, you're listening, but you're not fully opening up to it. You're remaining kind of cynical about the whole thing. It, then don't be surprised when it doesn't seem to be working enough, as much for you as it does for other people. Because what's happening is you're being restrained by your affections. Your affections are the things that are holding you back. You're not open to God. If you're not open to God, it's not God's fault. He says, you're not restrained by us. God says the same thing. You're not restrained by me. Oh, we say it to God. God, why? Why is that person getting so much? And I'm, why is that person seem to be receiving so much of your, your goodness? Why are you, they seem to be so full of the spirit. I mean, so joyful in your presence. And yet I feel dry and I feel worn out. And God says, there's nothing that I'm holding back from you. I've never told you, you couldn't have this. Remember the prodigal son? We talked about it a little while ago, not long ago. The prodigal son came home. And the father gave him a big feast. And the older brother was upset because, Father, I've been here the whole time. I didn't leave you. What did the father say to him? He said, first of all, we're rejoicing. This guy was lost. Now he's found. I wish you'd rejoice with me. But then what does he say? He says, didn't you know everything I had was yours? Because the, the, the older brother said, you know, you're giving him a fatted calf. You've never even offered to kill a goat for me. He said, didn't you know everything I had was yours? You could have just asked. He wasn't restrained by his father. He thought he was. He thought his father was playing favorites, but the father didn't play favorites. He was restrained by his own heart, by his own affections. We never should let that be us. Why would we allow God to heal our hearts and to come with an expectation from those that are ministering to us, we expect that God is going to speak through them as flawed as they might be because they are human, that God's going to use those people to minister something to us and I am going to pull everything they've got out of them because I want what God has for me and if he's going to use a human vessel, I'm going to receive a human vessel because I want what God has. But then when it comes to the people around me, those people that I'm meant to partner with, to work with, to love, I'm not going to be restrained by my affections. I'm going to open my heart wide to them. And if they slap me in the face when I, when I smile at them, I'm going to turn the other cheek because that's what Jesus told me to do. And I'm going to love them just as intensely as I loved them before. And I'm going to trust even when I don't fully have a reason to trust this sounds dangerous and indeed it would be 
But it's not dangerous when you serve the God who cares for you and loves you and has designed you and has created you for this. You've been created to love at full, wide open, no holds barred, nothing held back. You've been created to love as he loves. Do you know what? Jesus never loved halfway. God has never loved you halfway. You might think that he had a reason to, right? We can all look back at times in our life where we said, I I really didn't deserve God's love at this period of my life. Whether you deserved it or not, we know that he loved you just as intensely. And in fact, once we acknowledged that love and received that love, as the Bible said, once we came to know and to believe that love, it changes us. God has not wavered in his love for you. And that is the love that you have. Not your love, but his love. His love was not designed to be given in spurts, to be regulated. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Freely you've received. Now freely give. That's the great formula of heaven. That's the economy of God, is that you receive freely and you give freely. Praise God. Oh, what, what powerful, what a powerful group of people the world would know if they were willing to first and foremost receive freely from God. Many people don't feel like they deserve to receive freely and they're restrained because they don't know what Jesus did for them. Even believers who don't fully embrace what Jesus did for them and who they are in Christ and all that he's freely granted to them, everything pertaining to life and godliness, but they feel that they don't deserve it, so they're restrained, and they don't freely receive. Oh, I remember the story that my dad told about a woman who had an issue with her eye. Her eye was off-center. It was always kind of, you know, her two eyes wouldn't work together quite right. And there was just a great move of God that was taking place. My, my dad's first church, I'm not sure, did this happen in the church? Do you, you know the story I'm going to, Mom? Well, anyways, I'm pretty sure it happened in one of his first churches down south. His first church was full of born-again hippies, <laughs> Jesus people. And it was, all, it was great. I mean, they were just so, you know so enthusiastic but there was this girl and she was a good Christian girl as far as I know and um, as they were praying for people people were getting healed God was doing great miracles and they said to this girl you know and they said her name would you like us to pray for you and she stepped back and she said no don't waste God's grace on me but what you have to know is God's grace has no limit God is not budgeting he has more than enough And so many people feel that they are not deserving of what he's already freely given. And so you're not restrained by him, you're restrained by your own affection. So we first must freely receive. Once we freely receive, our obligation is to freely give. That is the equation. It's as simple as it gets. Freely you've received, now freely give. Jesus told his disciples that when he sent them from village to village, preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, causing the lame to walk. He said, casting out evil spirits. He said, freely you've received, now freely give. And they were instructed to do that everywhere they went. 
This is what we've got to do. We've got to receive freely. Get over your issues. Get over your self-centeredness where you think you're the one person so special that you don't deserve what God's given. Of course you don't deserve it. None of us did. You must freely receive what God's given. You must freely receive by faith what he's already granted to you. The grace he's given to you. You've got to freely receive his love. You've got to freely receive his forgiveness. You've got to freely receive his righteousness and then believe that's who you are. And once you freely receive, you must turn and freely give. Because you'll always be able to say this, no matter who does it. If you get over your issues and are able to say, despite my flaws, God loved me unwaveringly. He loved me, he loved me, he loved me. Once you really believe that, then there's nobody in your life that fails your test for your love. Because you knew, because you know at the depth and the core of your being that you didn't deserve God's love, yet he gave it. And you're loved, then it's real easy to love everybody else. Because you know, if God so loved me, I can love them. I remember that time that I... I rebelled and I shook my fist at God and I, I did something terrible and yet he still loved me. When you say things like that, you're recognizing that his love for you was greater than your faults and your flaws. His grace was bigger. His blood was more powerful than your sin. And when you acknowledge that, there's nobody that fails the test for your love, for your affection, for your heart. Because I've freely been loved, and I can freely love. I've been freely given to, I can freely give. We must freely receive, and we must freely give. If we refuse to do this, we will be restrained individually and as a body. Because the Bible says it is what is supplied, the body itself is supplied by every joint in the body. Remember, we've said this before. God made you a body part. I don't know what that body part is, but God made you a part of the body, right? None of you are a joint in the body. A joint is when two parts come together. And the Bible says that we are supplied, we are empowered. The body functions by what every joint supplies. The body works when parts come together. And in order to do that, you've got to accept that the hand is quite different, quite different from the ear. The eye is quite different from the foot, that there are going to be people that rub you the wrong way. But that friction can never get in the way of your love. In fact, love covers a multitude of sins. What does the scripture say? Keep fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. What is sin? The definition of sin in the New Testament is to miss a mark. That's literally what it means in the original language, to miss a mark that's set. When we sin against God, we missed his mark of perfection, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and missed his mark. When we sin against one another, there are times when we miss God's mark. There's times where we just have set a certain expectation for people and they miss our ex own expectations. And I know the solution might be for you just to say, I don't expect anything of anybody. But that's not that good, is it? 
How would you like it if your kids came home and said, I didn't get a very good grade on my report card. And you said to them, that's okay, I don't expect anything of you. I, I really don't expect good grades from you. I, I have very low expectations of you. Let that comfort you. I have super low expectations of you. They're not going to go, well, thanks. I suddenly feel good about myself. No, they're going to feel rotten again. But what if they came home and they missed your expectation and you did nothing but beat them over the head with it? That you never measure up. You never get the, good, the grades you could get. Well, then at the same time, that's going to defeat them as well. As believers, we have expectations for people. But the solution is not to lower your expectations. Keep your expectations high. But when they miss it, love makes the difference. Love fills the gaps. Love greases the joints. It provides that lubrication on the joints so that we don't rub each, against each other the wrong way all the time. And when I'm, love, when I'm full of the Spirit, what does the Bible say? The fruit of the Spirit are things like love and joy and peace and even those big things like long-suffering, patience. Love, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And I believe this. I would love for us to come to every service with hearts open wide. Hearts open wide to God. Hearts open wide to the gifts that are ministering to us in that service. Hearts open wide to each other so that nothing would restrain us. That nothing would hold us back from all that God's got. You don't know how everything that God has for you. I mean, I, that he plans to use other people to get to you. That's a big part of his, his uh, purpose. It's a big part of his method. And so let's freely receive. And then let's freely give. That requires an open heart. But I believe we have that. Amen.